Let us pray. Holy God, be our water in the desert of our days. Amen. A few weeks ago, back on the first Sunday in Lent, I was listening to a podcast by a well-respected pastor and professor of worship, inviting us to go with Jesus into the desert. Every first Sunday in Lent, we hear the story of Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness or the desert, both words interchangeable in the biblical telling of it. This is where Jesus begins his ministry, and this is where we are invited every year to start over with him on our own Lenten journey. This is what that pastor pointed out. He said, in this time and place, with the way things are, with this Lenten season, we are called to spend some time in the desert. He was not wrong, because here it is, the third week of Lent already, and guess where our readings take us once again? To the desert, to the wilderness, to that place where we long for God's voice and living water. And if we are being honest, they are not two separate things, now are they? Moses striking the rock in our first reading brings literal water coursing through the dry land. But more than that, it brings the sign to the people that God is near, that God has heard them. Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman by a well is more than a cup of cool water, which it is. It is also the very I am standing with her in the heat of the day, seeing her and valuing her. In the scriptures, a lot happens in the desert, considering it's a dry and weary land where there is no water, as the psalmist puts it. Considering by our standards, it is uninhabitable and devalued, essentially worthless in our eyes. The worst place on earth in our imagination. When we read things like Jesus went into the desert for 40 days, we want to send him a sympathy card. And yet, it is unlikely that sentiment was the design of these stories, told by people who called the desert their home. It is even more unlikely when we consider that the whole ancestral narrative begins with the creation of every part of the world, the Garden of Eden, sure, but the forests and the oceans and the mountains and even the deserts. And God called them all good. It is hard to reconcile that, though, with our experience of the desert. When the scriptures take us on a trip to the desert or the wilderness, it is by way of our biblical counterparts who are equally lost, confused, tired, or weary in all manner of ways. That is when we are their closest companions. And once there, all of us, both inside and outside the scriptures' pages, we all long for water which seems as difficult to discover as God's own voice. Have you been to the desert? When my father went into the hospital the last week of his life and didn't come home again, something strange happened. We were all back at the house, all of us now, who had come in from out of town and our children. We were going to be hanging around there for a while at this point. And we were there, and then someone went to turn on the water at the kitchen sink, and nothing happened. It took us a while, but after checking every sink and trying to flush the toilet, we realized the problem was coming from somewhere else, somewhere closer to the source. So one of my brothers got on the phone with a well company. He was sitting right there in the living room, as I recall it, while we were just standing around, dazed from the death, confused by this dry tap. And the person who answered the phone must have said something like, Hi, this is Bob. How is your day going? Because he replied, How is my day going? Well, to be honest with you, Bob, 
Not so good. My dad just died and my well pump won't pump water. We laugh about it now when we think about it because it's like a terrible country song. My dad just died and my well pump won't pump water. But the truth is, it would make a great song because those two phrases are not that different. There was a drought that day that even a well pump couldn't fix. Have you been to the desert? Jesus is in the desert in today's gospel reading, and so is the Samaritan woman. We know why she's there. The clues are obvious. She's got a bucket for water, and it's the hottest part of the day. She is some manner of outcast from her own friends and neighbors, or she would have come in the cool of the morning with all the rest. It's not so easy to figure out why Jesus is there traveling through Samaria. The region Jews didn't go in under any circumstances because they were sworn enemies. It's not so easy to figure out why Jesus is there just then, longing for a cool drink in the heat, tired by all the walking in the desert's unforgiving sun. It's like he's waiting by that well in the desert for something to happen. Something does. For starters, Jesus has the longest conversation with this woman that he has in all of scripture with another person. And it's like water in the desert for those inside and outside its pages. Jesus sees her vulnerable outcast, a history and a life that has been full of grief and heartache. He sees all this and he talks with her, no small thing in that culture, and he reveals his real identity to her. The water of life flows through their conversation as sure as it flows through that river Jordan. It can't help but flow from her then, as she faces all who would cast her aside and boldly witnesses to who Jesus is. The words Jesus uses here for living water in the Greek can also mean running water, like from a spring. So many think that the woman misunderstands Jesus when he says he could give her living water, that she hears running water, and so her reply is read like, where's your bucket in your spring then? While Jesus means life-giving water. But I'm not convinced. Our woman here is too smart for that, or she would not have held the longest conversation with Jesus to date. In a desert, right, running water and life-giving water are not two separate things. Running water, clear spring water, clean, accessible water is life-giving. We need it to survive, and so does the earth. When you and I read this scripture with our patriarchal bias and easy access to water, we miss that. We take water for granted. We can easily wash our hands and reduce the spread of this virus, unlike so many who do not have access to clean water. The day that Maddie was born, a water main broke in Harrisburg, contaminating the water supply. Everyone who came in to visit her was so good about stopping at the sink to wash their hands, but of course we had to tell them to stop. That's not clean. And then they were so confused. Her first bath taken in the hospital was a boiled one. Friends, we take water for granted. We take whole bodies of water for granted, really, like our Susquehanna River, our water source for many, which feeds then into the Chesapeake Bay, a body of water that sustains everything from marine life to livelihoods. The decisions we make in the entire watershed area about where we build, where we dump our waste, whether or not we control our runoff, all impact the river, which impacts the bay, which impacts the ocean and impacts our life and so on. We are so interconnected. 
Surely we know that now. As one poem about the pandemic highlights, surely we know that now. We are connected to each other, whether that is through an entire watershed from New York to Virginia or through the global health and economic system of the entire world. We are interconnected, really, such that we depend on one another. We hold each other in our hands in this time, practicing things like social distancing out of love for our neighbor, out of care for each other, especially the most vulnerable among us. We are interconnected as Jesus sits by a well and shows us how even those we deem as unworthy, as outsiders, or as second-class citizens have the power to shape the way we see the world for the better if we just listen. We are interconnected as that living water that flows through each one of us, flows through the rocks and the trees and the mountains, and even, you see, the deserts. Could there really be water in the desert? There was for our ancestors. They found it gushing up like a spring every time they faced a difficult and uncertain time and told of the day that old Moses struck the rock and water burst forth. There was for the early church gathering in homes in small groups because it was too dangerous to get together in large numbers in public places. They found it every time they confessed their fear and their worry, their grief. They found it flowing like a mighty river when they told of how Christ was lifted high on the cross, pierced with a sword, and life-giving water flowed from his side. Have you been to the desert? I think we all have an answer to that question now, for we are in a desert completely unknown to us, a time unprecedented, and we can barely hold on to each other, given the circumstances. But if we have learned anything from our biblical deserts, then we know this place that we see as worthless and uninhabitable has the power to reshape the way we see the world, if we but listen If we but place our ear to its rocks, we will discover something happening. There is water in this desert too. God's voice is speaking to us here, nearer to us than we imagined. We will discover that Christ is here, being broken open for us in our love and self-discipline for our neighbors, in our prayers and calls to check in on those who are isolated, in our sharing of good information, and in our creative ways to serve those in need around us. Several years ago, my cousin's young son died in a terrible accident. He was around four years old. It was a shock to everyone in the family, and it was the largest funeral I think I've ever attended. The sermon was mostly an address to the parents and the grandparents about walking in the wilderness, traversing a desert now like no other that had only just begun. It was all too true. But then the pastor looked up at us and gave a charge to everyone there. He said, Now as they travel through a dry and weary land of the next days and weeks and months, you bring them a cup of cold water in the desert. You bring them a drink when they are thirsty, a call, a prayer, a meal. Let us all help them to find water when the well is dry. Dear friends, that is our calling today, to bring life-giving water to each other. Maybe that looks like telling the stories of faith to our children who are just as anxious and worried as we are. 
Stories about how the desert is good because God is there too, with us, sitting by a well when we least expect it, with a wellspring we never imagined possible. Maybe that looks like giving thanks for living water that we take for granted, like hospital workers and doctors and nurses and caregivers who bring relief and care to us, risking their lives and doing it all on very little sleep. Maybe that looks like speaking the truth and advocating for safety nets for those impacted by the loss of work or the loss of customers. It looks like calling for funding for places like Africa and giving ourselves through Lutheran World Relief to slow the virus's reach to that vulnerable place in the world. And maybe for you, yourself, in this time when we cannot hold on to community in the same way, Maybe life-giving water in your desert looks like holding on to the earth itself and all the water therein. Maybe it looks like touching the rivers and the creeks where you are, often overlooked and cast aside as things, but really teeming with life and hope. Let that water fill up your heart just as it fills up your hands until it overflows, until God's spirit, which moved over those waters in the beginning, moves over you and calms your fears. And let that source, water, and wellspring carry you through the days and weeks ahead. Amen. Amen.